Hey guys, Ian here with another episode of Unleash and Unhinged, the podcast where we talk about all things dog. Dog training, dog behaviour, dog health, literally anything you can think about when it comes to dogs, we'll talk about on here. We hope you enjoy the episode. so much for tuning in once again. Today, we are going to be talking about the care approach, which is what underpins canine caregivers. One of my projects, which is an online platform for dog caregivers and guardians, um, just an everyday, you know, dog person, person that has a dog in their life. It's an online platform for them to be able to gain information on how to raise a healthy and happy dog, how to deal with some problem behaviors, basically just to support you as a caregiver. And the whole point of it is to make information accessible and affordable from anywhere in the world. You can learn at your own pace, but there's also a community element as well. Um, But we're not going to bang on about what canine caregivers is today. We're going to talk about what underpins that, the care approach. The CARE approach is an acronym. So the word CARE is the acronym. C is for communication. A is for advocate. R is for relate. And E is for enrich. Now, those four elements, they are a way of looking at what underpins how to live that healthy and happy life with our dogs. I'm just going to unpack kind of what each one means to us and how it might, you know, look uh, in terms of how we might apply that in an everyday kind of scenario with our dogs. So we'll start with, we'll start at the beginning with C, communication, communicate. Typically, communication with our dogs when it comes to dog training historically has been a little bit of a monologue. And what I mean by that is you know, that archaic view of we instruct the dog to do and they must obey. Whereas today's more modern approach is more about a dialogue, really engaging with the dog in a two-way conversation. We ask people to ask the dog to do something, ask them if they want to do something. And we wait for the dog's response in return as information as to how they've received what it is we've asked of them. You know, whereas the old model, if we say sit, it wasn't really asking, was it? It was sit down. And if the dog didn't sit, that kind of notion that now the dog is being disobedient. And I hate that word obedience. Like, come on to that in a second, but being disobedient. So it's a bad dog all of a sudden. Now the dog must suffer the consequences for being disobedient, for being naughty, for being dominant, for being stubborn. And we know that that's not a healthy way to look at communication with anybody, any species, let alone a family member like your dog. So when we ask the dog, hey mate, can you do this? And their reply, their response on how they behave is information for us. So if they opt in, brilliant. You've nailed it. You have, you reward the dog. You, you carry on with your day, you know, fantastic. 
then that's information to let you know, yeah, they were really comfortable in what you were asking, so they completed it. They found it rewarding, so they completed it. But if they don't, and this is where things come, you know, get a little bit messy historically, um, if they don't do it, what we need to do is look at that as information. We need to make sure that we are looking at the response and rather than just thinking, oh, we didn't do that, think about why. Really go, okay, well, what are the reasons that you might not have done this behavior? Um, is it because you uh, haven't practiced it? You, haven't, you don't, they don't actually know what you're saying. Um, is it because we've got a wrong, uh, a cue? We, we, we thought one thing was cueing the behavior, but really there was another cue. So an example of that might be, we think they understand the word sit, but they don't really without a hand gesture. Um, is it because the cue isn't generalized enough and the dog doesn't necessarily know how to do that behavior that you're asking in the context that you're asking of them? So potentially, you know, you may well have been practicing, I'm going to stay on the sit behavior, may have been practicing sit at home uh, with no people around you. Whereas in this time that you've asked them, all of a sudden you're asking them to do it in a dog park and not only there are people around, but there's other dogs and there's a ball being thrown. And so he's like, I don't really know. We've never done this here before. And so they're kind of racking their brain as to why, uh, what it is you're asking. Is it because we're not motivating them? And the dog gets to decide the motivator. You know, we might think we're using food as a reinforcer and motivating them with food, for example. But if the dog is full or if there is a competing motivator, like something more rewarding, then the dog might not opt in to find and might not opt in because they don't actually find what you are offering as a reward rewarding. Is it because we've put them in and asked them to do it? Uh, under too much distraction so if we're asking them to do it under distraction that's like really good so we're saying hey mate sit down and get this food but in that moment that dog actually finds playing with other dogs really distracting and it's available well of course the dog is going to do what is most rewarding to the dog in that moment or is it because the dog is got a has got a competing motivator that is really scary really stressful and so you're asking it to, you're asking them to sit, uh, but the dog doesn't feel like it can sit because that would compromise its time, the time it would take for it to get away. And there's something really scary, and I don't want to sit down because oh my god, there's something really scary right there. The point of all of this is because it's not actually on the dog to get it right. It's on us as good handlers to adjust and use that as information to adjust what we do next. Because if we've not trained it well enough in this context, then we need to take the dog away from the context or make the criteria of what we ask them much easier so that they've got a better chance of succeeding. If we aren't using the correct cue, then we need to change the cue and work towards blending in the new cue and, tra and transferring the new cue that we do want them to have so that they've got a better chance of succeeding in the future. It's not their fault that we haven't trained the right cue. Is it If it's because there's too much distraction around them, well, they didn't choose to be there. We're the ones that choose where our dogs go, when, where, how, for how long, who they're around. We chose all of those variables, and we are the only ones that can actually change that. So 
if you're asking a dog to do the behavior too close to a distraction, don't blame the dog for not being able to do it. Change the situation that you're training the dog in and move away from the distraction. How far is completely dependent on the scenario and the situation that you're currently in at the time. But you're the one that should be accountable for this, not the dog. So the communication element when it comes to your dogs, you know, we really emphasize have a dialogue with your dog, but really importantly, communicate with clarity, consistency, kindness, with empathy. You know, we don't we don't want our dogs to be living uh, in and doing behaviors out of fear for us, of us. You know, there's we don't want to be using coercion on pain and punishment and intimidation for our dogs to comply with us. That's a horrible life and for a dog. And probably not a good life for the person constantly having to talk to somebody like that. That if we are talking to somebody like that, then there's probably an element of frustration there. And that's common. We all get frustrated and we're all going to talk to our dogs every now and then in a place of frustration. We're all human, but it shouldn't be the normal way that we talk to our dogs or the common, you know, the way that we talk with them every day. Like that in itself would be like an unhealthy relationship. So we'd ask people to communicate with their dogs with kindness, with clarity, emphasize the dialogue. And that is one of the big things around forming a healthy relationship. You know, the the reason why I hate the word obedience is because it does bring around a very unhealthy relationship. Like the, the idea that somebody should be any of any species should be obedient to me. It's, it makes my stomach turn. I don't like that concept. It's not healthy. So the next one is advocate. So be an advocate for your dog. Be an advocate for yourself. Be an advocate for the your dog community. You know, however that might be, whether that is an online thing or whether that is, you know, your neighbor's dogs and the people that you encounter on the street, people that you share uh, share public spaces with in dog parks or world cafes, whatever that might be in your area, but be an advocate for yourself, your dog, and others. And advocating for your dog is not always easy, and there are multiple ways that you can do it. We don't necessarily mean that you have to be stepping up and being confrontational to advocate for your dog, like sometimes just taking the quiet, the quiet route to protect their personal space is like by walking away is still advocating for your dog but the most important thing when it comes to advocating for your dog is respecting them as the individual they are you know we don't we don't want to be just trying to teach dogs to comply with us and mold them we've got to accept that our dogs are living things with their own agendas with their own personalities likes and preferences and dislikes um we've got to advocate for their needs and once and respect that yes it's all well and good having an idea of like where we want to take our dogs in terms of like the life we want to live with our dogs but we also have to bear in mind that they've got their own opinions on that and go at their pace you know protecting their personal space is a big one i really do believe you know my dogs then then personal space i protect it like i would my own uh like my loved ones. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, if somebody comes and asks me, hey, can I come and pat your dog? I don't always say yes. In fact, I more often than not say no. Um, 
because they, my dogs don't particularly like it. And that's their personal preference and that's their choice. And I don't owe anybody that, but my family is my dogs. And so I will go, mm, sorry, not, no, he's really not into that. He doesn't particularly like strangers' hands in his face um, or coming towards him in general. But, you know, thank you for asking. That, that was really nice of you. Um, but my dog's much happier if I protect his personal space for him. Or, but there's a million ways that you can advocate, and we go into this in, in Canine Caregivers. Um, but the other thing about advocating is you, it actually advocating is demonstrating healthy leadership. Now, leadership in terms of the dog industry, dog training industry, seems to have been widely misunderstood as to what healthy leadership is because we often hear unfortunately other professionals talking about how you've got to be a strong leader you've got to be the pack leader not going into that uh, the pack stuff then we'll talk about that another day but you know often it talks about hey, you've got to be strong you've got to be firm you've got to show them who's boss all of that and you often see people demonstrating really unhealthy examples of leadership talking about when they're talking about you've got to be a leader which is really ironic because healthy leadership is all about like looking after those in your care while trying to steer the ship and both are important but you've got to have going back to that dialogue you know both parties have an agenda both parties are part of the team the unit the family and if I don't advocate for those in my care, then I'm not going to have a very stable family unit or group or whatever thing we want to use to describe it. But unhealthy leadership, constant punishment, constantly um, putting my those in my care in situations where they're not prepared for and then holding them accountable for their actions, even though I... Is, is not is not a healthy way to lead it's not certainly not advocating um but often that's actually what people other trainers professionals unfortunately are actually telling people to do if you know they're saying put your dog in the scenario and then hold them accountable for their behavior which is ridiculously unhealthy leadership those in my care, I'm going to look at the situation. I'm going to try my very best to prepare those for my care for the situations that I am aiming to get them prepared for. It's we, you know, it's being proactive, training for the situation, not in the situation. So, like, think of it like a sport or um, a music recital. You know, you don't just turn up on the day uh, that it's important on the big day of the game or the recital and just play if you haven't practiced or well, if you do you don't expect it to go very well um and the only ones that are actually in control of uh, how much you practice and how well you practice is us not the dog so the training element of it you know it's our job to be good teachers not our job to be holding them having setting unrealistic unrealistic expectations and holding them accountable for when they break them um so yeah advocating a huge one then of course we've got relate so we cannot be good caregivers 
if we don't put ourselves in their shoes and look at how they might be feeling about what it is we're asking of them. So having that, having a bit of empathy, really trying to look at it through their lens. Um, you can see how all of these are, are, you know, they tie in together closely, but that relate lens of really taking a step back and going, okay, if I was in their shoes, how would they feel? And what we really want people to look at uh, their behavior, the dog's behavior is it's coming from an emotional place. You know, if the dog is fearful, then the behavior is going to represent that. If the dog is stressed, then the dog behavior is going to represent that. If the dog is anxious, then the behavior is going to reflect that. You know, it's, there's always an emotional driver in behavior. And there seems to be this, again, logic that tough love is the way to get through stress. And it's been proven over and over again that that is not the case. Think about how you would like to be treated. You want somebody to actually care for you. You actually want somebody to be empathetic towards your situation. The moment they're not and they t- they disregard how you might be feeling about it, then they you it's very hard to see eye to eye with that individual. And our dogs are no different. We as a as a behavior consultant will get many calls where the relationship is at at odds where the dog has got needs and the human has got needs and what we've got is that conflict of interest, right? So my job in that moment isn't just to come in and train the dog. It's to come in and explain to both parties. I mean, not that I can explain this to dogs, of course, but as from to the human element and going, your dog isn't giving you, trying to give you a hard time. He's going through a hard time. Um, and often taking a step back to go forwards is the most long-term solution. We, I don't want, I don't particularly like quick fixes um, in terms of training methodologies and trying to resolve undesirable behaviours in, in general, or even in trying to just raise a healthy dog. It, quick fixes are often exactly that, but then there's always pitfalls. So the more sound approach is to take a step back and look at the biggest picture and go, okay, well, what do you need on both sides and go, okay, let's find a way to mediate this and come to a conclusion where all parties are happy because going back to, we are living in that family unit and the goal isn't to just have a well-trained, obedient dog. The goal is to live a happy and healthy life as a family unit at the end of the day. And then finally, enrichment. Okay, so this this one is huge, and we are absolutely going to uh, talk about this in another episode in more detail. But enrichment, the enrichment needs of our dogs are fundamental to them. There, they, you know, there's there's dogs, there's uh, enrichment needs as, as a species. You know, they are a social species, but every individual uh, has got different social requirements and preferences um but they are a social species so they but they, there's also you know the welfare needs so and not all it so let me go let me just um got off topic there for a second or well, not off topic i just uh, not so clear 
Enrichment needs aren't things that they just want. They're things that the dog genuinely needs. Not all enrichment needs are created equal. Um, things like the dog's physical health and sense of safety and security are the things that underpin the uh, dog's well-being. And unless they're met, nothing else really matters. It doesn't matter how many nice, fluffy things we're doing for our dogs that the dog likes. Um, but there's there's those ones that if if they're com if they're more fluffy ones are compromised, then um, it, it doesn't it impacts the dog less if their fundamental needs are met. But if the fundamental needs aren't being met, then all the fluffy stuff just doesn't matter. The uh, then you've got inherent needs like um, like breed specific needs or. Uh, needs that are inherent to that individual so think like your um breed traits so uh spaniels and their flushing and and sniffing and tracking uh, herding breeds with their need to herd guarding breeds with that inherent need to guard um you know there, there's all these different amazing things that dogs were bred for and we've exaggerated and um really pronounced some breed traits and these aren't things that the dog just wants to do they're things that are almost reflexive uh for the dog and they they will come out as behaviors because they're inherently rewarding to that dog and if we don't actually give the dog an outlet to have them have these express these behaviors then we're going to see a real frustrated dog um that's going to potentially do present that stress and frustration in other ways that behavior is probably likely to come out but probably at a time when we least want it you know that herding dog that doesn't get to herd may start just herding traffic for example because well it needed to herd and it wasn't getting an outlet um and if it is not getting a healthy outlet then it's going to find one so when we're looking at behavior as a whole one of the fundamental things is we're looking at like which enrichment needs are in deficit. And this is a really cool way of looking at dog training in general, rather than looking at, okay, so somebody might call us and go, my dog is barking and lunging at people that get too close to them. And that is obviously the, that's the thing that people will call us for. They deem that the problem. We look at that and go, okay, that's a symptom of the problem but why is the dog barking and lunging at that person is it because they're scared and barking and lunging is a very effective way of maintaining distance between themselves and what they're scared of and so if we look at it through an enrichment lens then that that dog's sense of security and safety was compromised so it then started communicating the need to feel safe again and we can put that's just obviously one tiny little scenario where of that of that being uh, on display but if we look at dog behavior in general through that lens then we inevitably come to a methodology that is all about proactively meeting the needs so that they're fulfilled in the first place and if we do see uh, undesirable behavior then we identify it through that lens as well we don't see the the behavior itself as the problem the problem that that is just the symptom of the problem and if we go to the core of it then we don't find ourselves correcting unwanted behaviors anymore we see ourselves 
trying to be proactive in meeting those needs in the first place and acknowledging that in that moment the dog is not trying to be bad naughty spiteful or stubborn they're just communicating how they how they feel and what those needs really are in that moment and so inevitably we end up being a little bit more supportive of them and looking at it going back to that relate lens of trying to just have a little bit more empathy with them and then when it comes back to the communication lens we often end up communicating with a lot more kindness compassion um and really building the relationship again. So that relationship between you and your dog stays much healthier. So that's the care approach. And that's a really quick summary. And this is why we've been working on this, me and my uh, partner in crime in this, Dominique Hone. I've been working on this for a long time. But it's not just us in there as well. So we've got um, we've got a couple of tiers of membership where you can access this or any of the courses are available for purchase um, independently. But um, it's not just us talking about this. We've got all kinds of things. So things like, because this underpins everything we do. And so there's a puppy school in there. There's a reactivity course in there. There's lots of short behavior courses in there. And the library is always growing. Um, So go and have a look it's um caninecaregivers.com.au go and have a look go and check it out and uh let us know what you think um until next time folks thank you very much for tuning in don't forget if you've got any questions you can reach out to me online ian shivers dog advocate on instagram and i will be very happy to just talk dog with you okay thanks so much guys see you next week Thanks so much for listening. That's it for this week, guys. If you ever want to ask questions, give feedback, or just provide some suggestions regarding the podcast, find me on Ian Shivers Dog Advocate on Instagram. I'll be happy to help. If you're feeling really generous, leave us a review on whatever platform it is that you're listening to this podcast on. And if you want to nerd out more with us, then find our sponsors because they're the ones that make all of this possible. See you next week. This episode is sponsored by Canine Caregivers. I've had so many people reach out to me over the years, not knowing where to turn to online for reliable and consistent advice on how to raise a healthy and happy dog. The information out there is hard to navigate. It's hard to know who to trust and who not to trust. And frankly, some of it is just downright dangerous. That's why we created Canine Caregivers a place where you can come and get educational resources and access a supportive community founded on the care approach for people just like you, whether you've just brought a dog into your life or you've got a dog that is experiencing some unwanted behaviors. The content is updated regularly and we constantly keep in touch with our members to make sure that we are bringing relevant and up-to-date content that truly matters to you. There's different tiers of membership for different needs. So you can be sure that you don't have to break the bank to access the information that can literally make all the difference to the quality of life between you and your dog. Head to caninecaregivers.com.au to learn more.